We're back. We're back for the second hour of On the Block with Strick and Bach. I'm E. Strick. That is my partner, Dick Bachman. We welcome you and continue to thank you for your support of On the Block right here on 93.7, the ticket, the ticketfm.com, and all of the listening platforms from Twitch to Spotify, as well as Facebook and all of our supporters there on YouTube. We thank you guys for joining us on the block for the second hour. We touched on a few things, but we didn't get a, get an opportunity to totally delve into it. But but it's a fight, a fight. The XFL and the USFL are battling it out for who's going to be the best football programming outside of the NFL in the offseason. That's a battle going on right now. We, we didn't get a chance to talk about it, but we're going to jump into it right now. We're going to tap in. So, Bach, man, the XFL is already trying to, you know, basically do uh, the Brahma Bull action where they're standing in there and, what's your name? Who cares what your name is? <laughs> like, they basically, they're trying to do a rock, you know. That's right. On, who owns uh, the XFL? Uh, yeah. Who, who gives a care what your name is? <laughs> I and, like uh, it. That's the way that they're doing it right now. The XFL is basically trying to do some counter-programming uh, to the USFL. And, um, you know, I, hey, man, how do you view it? I mean, right now, the way that I look at things in, in, in observation, they've continued to put efforts out there they met with their agents on a virtual meeting uh the top executives mark ross doug Wa- uh, doug whaley russ uh giglio giglio that told the agents of the xfl that they would offer higher salaries and better benefits than the usfl that is basically shots fired oh yeah you know, and no pun intended but basically that's just shooting across the bow if you were in in the Navy, you would understand what that means. You know, it basically is just just putting it out there on blast that we're coming for your throat. So, how do you view that and the way that they're approaching it? And basically, you know, Moose Johnston has got something he's got to deal with, and and they're coming with marketing and they're coming with, you know, basically the old model of the USFL, throwing it out there with salaries and money and so forth and so on. But Johnston hit back and we'll talk about the hit back in a minute, but go ahead. How do you view it? Uh, I think it's, it, it needs to happen. And I think it will be part of what's interesting uh, moving forward with, uh, with this battle. Of course the XFL, if you're not aware, uh, won't kick off until 2023 February. Um, and they've, they're just, they've, they're, they're trying to position themselves to be a more lucrative league. Of course, the USFL is off to a good start. Um, as far as TV ratings were concerned, they've, they've got the deals uh, with Fox sports, NBC broadcast uh, their game as well. Um, the games over the weekend. So they've got the head start. So the XFL has to do what it what it can um, to try to uh, you know get some some of the better players and some of the, the bigger names over to their way, and uh, I think it's going to be very important for them. I mean, like I said, I I think more than anything, this head start for the USFL is huge. I mean, first of all, you already have the brand recognition of some of those teams that were around for the USFL. That mm-hmm. might not be for everybody, but for those that were around to watch some of these teams in the '80s, that means a little bit of something. But also, just one year. Uh, to draw back on, it's you know it, it's it's uh, it, it may not be much, but it at least is a head start. And when the XFL kicks off, it's going to be kind of like, oh, here's that other league that's already failed twice, um, and 
you know, the USFL is already up and going, so it's not going to be as big a news. It's going to be like, okay, we've seen one year of the USFL. Here's another league right. going at it. So the XFL has got to do what it can. Most importantly uh, to me is in the, the TV rights deals, and I think that, um, you know, they had ESPN announce the, the TV coaches, so I don't know if they're going to get involved with the XFL. I'm not exactly sure what, what the XFL TV deal is yet. Uh, I think that they've got, uh, I believe, at least in their last go-round, had ESPN and Fox on the table, but they're going to need – um, those three-letter networks to, to kind of help them out or ESPN uh, to compete with the USFL. But to, to have higher-paid salaries, more jobs, um, you know, that's kind of the idea that they're, they're throwing out there. And, you know, you have that extra year. Um, use it to your advantage because in some ways it's going to be a disadvantage. Yeah, and that's what it's breaking down to. I mean, right now, when, when, they're, when they're throwing out the words significant pay differences, I mean, there's there's – they're only going on a baseline right now because the, the, the USFL, they're paying their guys $4,500 a week, plus there's bonuses depending on wins of games, so forth and so on. They do a little subsidizing on their housing. And if you decide to live off you know, the, the hotel reservation, so to speak, you get an extra $75 towards that um, you know, daily. And then you also get or you get $150 room rate. Uh, at one of the hotel sites there in Birmingham. So those are some of the things that the they're they're that's the way that they're kind of minimizing their costs and and, and but the XFL is throwing it out there as if they're going to have significant salary differences. As you alluded to, they're saying that they're going to offer more positions. You know, where you're going to have a 70 man roster, they're going to basically only have 45. That's going to give you an extra 560 uh jobs that are available for players to be able to tap in and but the, the, I think the most subsequent thing that, that we're missing in that is that they're going to allow for the, the, the season to go from February to May. So it's going to give those – this is what we talked about on yesterday, is that how can they be able – who which team or which organization is going to position themselves to be a good fit for NFL teams to be able to watch? Mm-hmm. In the past, it used to be NFL Europe, right? But that became just so hard trying to travel across the water, go over there. That the budget's got you know tremendously hard trying to do that on a regular basis. So which which organization, the XFL or the USFL, is going to become that partner that's going to allow them to be able to evaluate, maybe send some of those guys that are on their practice squads down to get some work and get some, you know, get some more evaluation in an actual playing situation. Uh, is he ready to come up and be the next guy? Can we sign him? Can we trade this guy? Can we move? Is he ready? You know, you can send a player down there to be able to get that seasoning in and, and it doesn't affect what's going to be in the NFL side of it. So that's the thing that I'm liking as to the way their season is lining up. That's not going to cause an overlap or an effect in that. Yeah, and the XFL, you know, for what it's worth, too, has the, the kind of deal with the NFL where they're going to kind of test some of the rules out and, and stuff like that. Yeah. And that's um, I think that that's more important than anything is to get kind of a partnership with the NFL rolling, like you're mentioning. Um, and uh, but it's interesting because, the, you know, the, as these leagues go at it, um, it's it's only it's almost highly unlikely that either of them survive, at least in my mind, uh 
five, ten years. But if they do, uh, and if both of them do, I think that, that would be fascinating because right now the USFL, um, when they had their draft, when they signed their players, they're, they're on two-year deals. So you can't play this year on, in the USFL and then jump over to the XFL next year. Uh, and, of course, I, I think that they did the two-year contracts with that in mind, right? Is um, But eventually, when you have these spring leagues, if you have the stars of the USFL jump over to the XFL or vice versa, I think that could be a little bit interesting as well. I just don't know if there's a huge interest out there for it. And then that remains to be seen, right? We have to see, um, you know, what, what kind what kind of interest people are, are going to be stars, right? Are there going to be people that can get commercials and are recognizable when they walk down the street, at least, you know, outside of Birmingham, uh, is there going to be interest in these guys down the line? I think that that's a huge hurdle for them. And, and I've said it for a long time. Do you need to get those guys that are maybe college football stars, but not quite project to the NFL? You know, you kind of think of a uh, Eric Crouch back in the day might've been perfect for this sort of thing. Uh, modern day, the Johnny Manziel's of the world. Um, the guys that just aren't, you know, flamed out of the league pretty quickly, but they've, they've used, they, they've got a name to them. And, and I don't know if you have enough of that right now in the USFL. I'm, I'm interested to see if the XFL is able to get some of those names, because I think that that that's um, without a built-in like fan base or you know interest around a team and some color uniforms and you know I know you got a head coach like Bob Stoops I, I might tune in to watch Bob Stoops but there's just not enough of those names uh, I think if you're the XFL that's your next step is to grab some of those guys that aren't quite NFL talents but huge names in you know even the college football circuit. Well, I think what the, the XFL did before that was really unique. I love that they allowed them to create their own name, you know, where you had, you know, guys like he hate me. And, oh, and yeah. Th- those things were catchy. I mean, it was it was something that you were able to follow. But the thing that is is different about it is social media now is on another plane. Right. Oh, yeah. And and their social media guys are created. So I'm interested to see how the XFL are going to market. That's what I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm seeing what's going to be the differentiation in the way that they're marketing their players, right? Because right now they operate in a veil. They, they, they operate behind the helmet. And so you, in the same manner, the NFL had those problems before, which they tried to limit them from taking helmets off and so forth and so on. How are they going to be able to market their players? Are they going to create these, these little, you know, names, you know, that are going to be something to be able to follow? Um, what type of techniques are they going to use there? So I, I'm, that's kind of where I'm interested to see the bridge gap on. But Daryl Johnson has something to say about it, though. Daryl Johnson basically came out and said, I don't know if it's so much uh, a race to see who goes first. It's now that we're <clears throat> we're offset by a year, and that has to be an experience in which um, he's basically saying sometimes first to market can be not that we're racing there, but first to market can be something of, of, of getting an experience with the brand. Um, he then goes on to say it goes back to our television partners. So he's basically letting it be known that there, there, there's a big difference there in that aspect. Um, where would the X, XFL be able to compete with us when we talk about the presentation of the product question? He said, let's say that the product is the same on the field. Uh, that's what you're talking about. You mm-hmm. know, how is we're, we're going to see what the USFL has to offer because their ratings were good. We're going to see if there's any tapering off of those ratings and those numbers as well. And then he's going to, he goes on to say is how do you, you deliver that to the fan? That's going to be the key component. The challenge is going to be, how do you take the same product? And this is what I'm talking about and deliver it to the fan. That's going to make it different from what we're doing, where we got a year advanced to you. 
So basically, shots fired. You know, and Johnson oh, yeah. shot back. Basically, just letting it be known that hey, we got power. We got we got the you know the ESPNs. I mean, we we've got the big names, the Foxes, the C. You know, yeah. NBC's behind us. What you gonna do? And we'll see how that competition weighs out. Yeah, I, I I really am fascinated by it. Although I don't know how much of the games I'm gonna watch, but I am interested if if you guys did watch the games, uh, your thought on them. I again, I watched a spring Georgia football game instead. Uh, you know, I was watching NBA playoffs as well, so I didn't really get into it. Uh, as Nate shakes his head over me, I'm a spring game guy. Gosh darn it! Uh, but call us four zero two four six four five six eight five if you watch the game if or text in. Yeah, um, let us know what you what your thoughts were about the USFL. Um, and you know some of the rule changes that they're experimenting with and, and that sort of thing because it did you know did Mike Riley draw you in you know I, I think certainly for me you know as an as, as a Husker fan it's kind of interesting you know if that was Bo Pelini I'd be glued if it was Frank Zolich I'd be glued it, since it was Mike Riley I you know it just kind of shrugged it off because he's been a part of these leagues before and they haven't worked out and you know obviously he didn't quite um as nice as a guy as he was uh, obviously he didn't have the success on the field but to me it just felt like never quite uh, you know, kind of built that connection. He was only here for two years and uh, and a cup of coffee, basically, before the writing was on the wall that he's going to be gone. So, um, you know, it's kind of weird. Do you consider him an ex-Husker that can kind of draw you there? For what it's worth, Josh Banderas, former Husker Bando, had 17 tackles, uh, one of the leaders in the first weekend of games. Does that do anything for you? Interested in kind of those um, players that, from Nebraska that didn't quite get in there uh, into the NFL that are that are still you know trying to play professional football for a living? It, you know, it, it's it, there's a lot of cool factors in there. So yeah, if you, if you watch, let us hear from you four zero two four six four five six eight five. Ellison in Illinois, by the way, says I tried to watch the USFL. I really did, but I quickly lost interest and turned the channel. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's the that's the problem. You I'd have. like to know why. Yeah, that, yeah, no, that, that I, listen, I hear you, and I would like to understand like what he just said. Why? Yeah, like what what was the loss of the interest? Was it just the no name of the players? Uh, was it just that you know the football the 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 the, the way that the game was played? The, was it not fast enough? Were the quarterbacks not skilled enough? Or what areas for you that just made you just like I'm not interested? Yeah, and we got two comments here uh, about the attendance. Says the Houston Mission game had like ten fans. The stadium shots were bad. And uh, who? Uh, who? The Houston Michigan game. Right, and I think that was in Houston, right? I believe they're all being played in Birmingham. In, in Birmingham, right? Um, so yeah. I think that's part so of the Birmingham problem. Birmingham game actually had a pretty good crowd. Right? Yeah, but obviously that's the home team, right? Right. So, so that's the problem that they have with doing this bubble type of of setup, right? Because you have a bunch of other teams that are playing in the same place, but there's no connection. Yeah. And so you're, you're absolutely right. And obviously and, the opening of a league would draw a little bit more than the second or third game. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Also fat Phil kind of noticed that as well. He says, I know attendance isn't the current goal for the USFL, uh, which is obviously by the fact that they're playing all those games at Birmingham, but he says, but it's weird to see that on TV. The lack of spectators makes it feel like it amplifies the noise of the game, which is something I know they're trying to do anyway. So, you know, it maybe has a positive impact there, but it is tough to watch when you don't see, um, you know, any game uh, in, in, you know, it, it kind of, I, I noticed this with the Golden State Denver game last night in the playoffs. There just weren't that many fans out there. And, and it's it's just kind of like, well, if they don't care, how much am I supposed to care? Right. And and I do. I mean, it, it obviously, um, you know, that doesn't take away from everything. But when there's really a sparse crowd, it, it's just kind of 
it 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 doesn't you know fans are a big part of it as as much as we you know the athletes obviously do the, all the work there but the environment aspect of it is mm-hmm. is largely based on fans and the noise they make and the care factor and and all that stuff and you know I I think that is something that's going to hold them back if they don't get too many fans in the stands it's going to it's just going to kind of look like okay you know this 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 thing isn't taking off so why why am I going to be invested on it when I have Major League Baseball or NBA or, in my case, other spring games to watch. Well, I I, um, I absolutely understand. It, it's it's the same concept of when you were, like, for example, when I used to uh, live in L.A., right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I lived in L.A. in one offseason, the, the season before I went to play in Boston. And here's a dynamic I, I, I learned. So I would go out with some of, a couple of my friends or whatever. We would go to a nice little club somewhere in Hollywood or in sunset or, or whatever the case may be. And, and I tell you Bach that <laughs> the line would be out the block and down the street. And if you didn't show up with like, say if it was just me and my buddy, if we didn't have four or five girls with us, you weren't getting in. Right. It, that's just how it was. Or if you knew the guy you could get in, but here's the dynamic line down the block, we would get in. Because we would, you know, have whatever, you know, at that time, I think I had, you show your NBA card, you were pretty right. cool, you'd get in. Did you have to stand in well, line or did you just get right, go no, right to the front? No, you right. know, yeah, it, yeah. It, I didn't ever have to do that. So right. that was a blessing. Right. But when you got in there, Bach, it was empty. And it halfway had you ready to walk back out because you're like, why is there a freaking line down the block? And, and, but... It was there to draw more people to the spot. Hmm. So it was basically an, an optical illusion they were creating. This is the hot spot. This right. is where it is to be. But there was nobody inside. They, <laughs> they were keeping everybody outside huh. to make it look like it was popping. And then after a certain amount of time, they started letting people gradually come in. That was the crazy. But that's the that's the perception that you're talking about. It can work in the opposite way, too. Right. When there's no fans in the stands, it can begin to turn you off in the same manner that if there was nobody in the line yeah. at the supposed hot club of the of the city, then why would you want to come? You yeah. want to come because you think it's hot. And therefore, that's what you have. And that's why uh, there's a lot of an interest. I hated playing in Atlanta back in the day. It was like because Atlanta was a transient city. It wasn't a city that was built as a whole from just people that were from Atlanta. Yeah. So they didn't really support the the Atlanta Hawks. So when I played with the Knicks, when we came to play against the Atlanta Hawks, we had more Knicks fans there than Atlanta Hawks fans. <laughs> it was like a it was like a home game for us. Yeah. And in that same manner, but it, it it's it's hard. That's why I, I don't know if I could have played the bubble. It, it or in in the the NCAA when they were doing it with no fans. Right. I, listen, that would have been hard for me because it does make a difference having them there. Yeah. I mean, it made me feel like practice or like kind of an open practice yeah. type of situation, which is, yeah, it is I what do it that is. every day. Yeah. <laughs> you already do that. So, and I'm kind of a showtime guy, you know what I mean? If I'm going, <laughs> if I'm diving in the stands or I'm yeah. getting a rip and I might go up and do something or drop a dime. Shoot. I want it. I want it to be known. Strick you know, needs some eyes on him. Yeah. yeah I like it. Uh, you, you go and do all of that. And... <laughs> 
Silence. Yeah, <laughs> you can hear your one of your uh, boys go whoa from the sideline. That's about it. Right. Um, right. Let's get to some more response for the USFL uh, off of YouTube. Natural born Skur, nice name, uh, says the quarterback play is what hurt it for me. Yeah, there was like three or four games. I don't think anybody threw over two hundred yards. So. That's pretty rough start. Uh, Ellison, Illinois, uh, responds to, to asking why he turned the channel. He says, I think I lost interest because I had no connection to the players or the teams. I know one thing I kept saying was that I wish they would constantly tell us where these guys played college. I think that would have helped mm. me connect with who they are. And, yeah, I think that that's something they need to maybe, you know, have on, on the you know, one of the screens below or something. They just kind of get to know some of these guys because they're not household names. Yeah, because uh, you don't know if he came straight off – you don't know if he came straight off the uh, – uh, the 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 uh the work line or, or straight yeah. you, know, you don't know where you, you don't know their story so it's it's tough. i can I, I that's a good point yeah good point. uh someone else texts in and says the usfl should fold by the time the xfl start <laughs> usfl is garbage so he did not like it didn't give reasons but he didn't like it uh also drumstick says why doesn't the usfl pick college towns uh then they could pay the college teams to play their games in their stadium which would then could be used for nil yeah that's it's some interesting that- that was what I said yesterday. Yeah. I, I said their cities of choice is going mm-hmm. to be their downfall. You've got to be able to choose. Like, like, uh, let me, let me, let, let's run it real quick. Text line, text it in too. You ready? Mm-hmm. Stay away from Charlotte, Raleigh, Raleigh. North Instead, Carolina. yeah. Okay. Um, stay away from DC. Stay away from Baltimore. Go up to maybe um, the uh, the suburb of of Philly, like there's a, there's a nice little suburb where they play AAU games. It's kind of oh, yeah. about an hour away from Philly. I can't remember the name of the city. Um, Columbus, you've got Ohio State there, right? Yeah, it's they built love in. football. Columbus, Ohio, you know, stay away from Cincinnati. Stay away from any place where they're Omaha, Nebraska. Mm-hmm. Iowa City. You go out west, stay away from Vegas, go up to Reno. You know what I mean? That's the way you've got to do it, baby, because now those people want to experience games and they they don't they can't pay Las Vegas Raider ticket prices. They can't pay, you know, Carolina Panther prices, but they can pay those prices and they still want to enjoy football. That's the way you've got to do it. You got to go to these places like that in order to experience it. I, I absolutely agree. You know, and I, I said it before when we talked about this too. Is you know maybe you have a team made up. I, I think you have to lean into the college thing. I know you, you see yourself as a professional league. You're in the pros, but you got to lean into the college thing. Have a Big Ten team located in Omaha, like you said. A lot of former Huskers, a lot of names at least that you recognize having played against right. or playing for, or at least you know in that in that region. Having a you know I, you know have a few SEC teams in that footprint. And, you know yeah. uh, you know Tuscaloosa would be interested in a lot of former Tide players that didn't yeah. make it or whatever. So, you know, I know it sounds like an alumni tournament or whatever, but that's the closest thing you're going to get, uh, I think, as far as interest is to have household names. And if they're not household around the country, at least make the local, you know, the, the, the local team, you know, fans know what they're going for. If you want to get uh, the ticket sales up. And again, you, you like you said, uh, it can't necessarily be the prices of a Husker game, probably, or a pro football game, certainly. Um, but uh, I think that would do a lot better as far as getting interested. It's leaning a little bit more toward college football than professional, even though you're paying these guys and obviously they're out of eligibility. But uh, I think that that's 
that's got to be to me um, maybe the goal of the XFL if they get going toward. I don't I don't necessarily think anybody's doing that, um, but to me that would be the best uh, way to do it is take advantage of built-in fan bases that are already there. Don't try to start from the bottom. Absolutely, that I mean that's that's the only way I could have seen it. Absolutely, actually, the three-on-three tournaments, the way that they're doing those now, they're doing that. They're basically creating these teams that are Mountain West players. The, you yeah. know, the ones that don't get there, Mountain West and the WCC, and they have a three-on-three team. SEC and the ACC. And they're matching these guys up that didn't make it. They're playing these three-on-three tournaments, and they're doing pretty good. They're getting, some, they're getting a little bit of life. Yeah, I think that's the way they. I think that's the way you got to go if you if you're one of these leagues, um, because just starting from the bottom, like somebody said, I didn't recognize any of the guys. I don't know the names. The quarterback plays rough. Um, you got to get a story going. People are interested in a story, uh, and obviously that that waned out. But again, for the USFL, off to a good start in the ratings category. So that's good news. Uh, we'll take a quick break. When we come back, it's time for hitting the hardwood. Plenty to talk about there as the NBA playoffs move on. Uh, I don't even know what to tease here because there's. A lot going there. Is Kyrie uh, a villain now uh, for flipping off the fans? Is he immature? Uh, we'll talk about that. Also, Jokic. Uh, I know he's down his uh, his best guys there with him in Denver, um, but uh, Nick Wright, who's had a battle with the Jokic uh, fans for a long time, actually raised a good point on Twitter today, is that uh, we've seen other MVP quality guys. If he's back-to-back MVPs, we've seen other quality guys rise above not having those teammates there, at least to be competitive. He's looking maybe at two first-round exits in a row in his MVP season. So let's talk about the NBA on hitting the hardwood coming up next here on The Block. The Block. 